Yeah. And welcome back to Talking Knicks. It's been about a week and a half since the Porzingis trade broke Knicks fans for a half a day, and we've been recovering since then. Uh, on the court, it's been losses. I, I think five more losses since we last talked to you guys. I think we're done looking at wins and losses. I think we want to talk about some of the young players. We're going to talk about 10 years, 10, 10 years later, 10 days later, our reaction to the Porzingis trade. Uh, we were last with you. It was kind of a reactionary podcast, um, kind of where we're at now. What have we learned about the trade? What have we learned about some of these new bodies that have come over? Um, and, and we're going to try to have fun with it. The Knicks have only broken 100 points in one of their last nine games in an NBA where scoring is trending up heavily. I am joined by Tom Piccolo, who's gaining some fame on Twitter lately as a good Knicks analyst. I'm Jake Storielli, and let's talk Knicks. The New York Knicks trade. Kristaps Porzingis. Post and toast, Clement stuffing. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. A little welcome back, Cotter slash Mace when he returned to the rap game. Speaking of returning to the rap game, Tom Piccolo, Tom, you're you're gaining some leverage on the Twitter sphere. You're are you famous? Jake, that, that's kind of you to say, but uh I, I think it's a little bit of an ex- over exaggeration. I did post a video. Just a quick screen grab from last night's game, and it, it got more traction than any of my other tweets combined. So uh, wow. I'm gonna probably keep doing that. I know uh, I know you're big on that Twitter machine, and and uh, you do it a little different way. You do it probably more with uh, with humor and with uh, with wit. I'll just uh, stick to those videos. I was gonna say I kind of keep it twisted steel and sex appeal, but. I'll take humor and wit. Um, no, that's a better description, actually. But no, if they if they aren't following you, uh, they should, especially to see some of your Knicks clips, your writings, um, and you uh you you know the game. How how you doing, Tom? We, it's been a little while. That's that's our our pregame show was you and me yucking it up and being like, okay, it's been a little bit, and trying to figure out the Knicks protections on the draft pick, which we'll get to in a little bit. But how how are you doing, man? Jake, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty yeah. well. Uh, I was working all weekend, but I, I can't complain too much. Uh, yeah, th- things are good over here. I got my my wife's birthday coming up next mm. weekend, so I've just been, you know, batting down the hatches for that. Yeah. Um, you know, planning the things, making the dinner reservations, getting all the, the ducks aligned and the gifts and all that. So, yeah, that's... That's kind of what's looming over me. Uh, that's not how you should talk about a birthday, but uh, that's kind no, of- looming's the perfect word, Tom. And I'm glad you told me that because I I didn't know your sweet sweet wife's birthday, and I'm sorry. But my significant other, Jessica, her birthday is this month, and February is like the big one for me. It's Valentine's Day and birthday, and it's like I I got to keep composure through there. Because if you blow it, you blow it. And now it's kind of like the year's on a bad note. Man. But it's also it's also kind of good because if you hit it right, it's kind of out of the way. And it's like, I, I mean, I'm kind of in the clear till Christmas. Is that rude? <laughs> you really do have to bring it, though. So Valentine's Day is February 14th for all you listening out there who may have forgotten. And, and Rose, my wife's birthday, is the 16th. So it's like almost back to back. And 
I, I know I'm working late on the 14th. I already have that ahead of time. So th- this weekend is going to carry a lot of weight for me. Yeah. And I mean, could could be the next the Knicks' next potential win at Atlanta on Valentine's Day. What a what a real treat that would be for our significant others. Um, well, good luck to you, Tom. Um, you know, T's and P's, knock it out of the park. Um, what um, I I guess Tom, let's let's go back. Let's go. It's Thursday, January thirty first. We get together. We we all have a beer in hand and we talk about the Porzingis trade. And it was shocking. I mean, I I was on my way up to the mountains um, to meet up with some of my uh, Dallas, Oklahoma City friends that were in town for a ski trip, and they they were giving me all sorts of hell, like they should have, <laughs> like like any good friends do that are fans of another sports team. But Porzingis was gone. We talked about it on the podcast. I think. I think you and I gave the most optimistic grades. Am I misremembering that? I think I gave a B minus, or did you give a did you give a mean a mean grade? No, I didn't give too mean of a grade. I think I think I may have given a C minus. Okay. And, and the the Poon brothers were like, "That's really bad." Yeah. Because they were such good students, but uh, I was like, <laughs> "No, that's actually okay. Like, that's fine." C C minus has got me here, folks. Um. And I, I think it's it's been a little bit if if you trade away a guy that I mean let's let's be honest about it. When we first saw the seven three Chris Epps Porzingis come to New York and he was real, I mean, you just start going through the notions like, okay, this guy is gonna bring the Knicks back. We're gonna see that number six hanging in the rafters one of these days. This guy is larger than life, <laughs> literally, <laughs> um, and figuratively to a degree. Flash forward through everything that happens. He's out of town. Um, I guess, Tom, what's what's for you? What's changed between now and then mentally for you or any any other realizations that have come to you since the trade? Well, there, there were just so many emotions on that last podcast. It was kind of hard to think clearly. And the, the dust has settled a bit since then. And I think what the most amazing thing has been is just how quickly the narrative flipped. I know that the Knicks were kind of leaking that, or just in their statements, they were saying flat out that Porzingis had demanded a trade or he had threatened to, to go back to Europe for medical evaluations. And so the the large part of the Knicks fan base completely turned on him. Um, there was a lot of that snake talk, like, <laughs> you know, like he'd done something wrong. And then there was kind of the Porzingis's counter to that on social media saying, like, don't believe everything you read. Um, so, you know, I don't really get caught up in all that. Like, I, I care more about the, the basketball side of things. I'm not really so much into the drama. But it's just amazing how quickly the narrative flipped between, like, we're losing our beloved Porzingis to, you know, that guy was kind of overrated. He always started the season strong, but he'd fade away or he'd get right. injury prone. And, uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, people were ended up saying, like, really commending the, the Knicks front office on this deal, getting those – two first picks and, and Dennis Smith Jr., who we'll talk about both those things very soon. But um, I guess the way I feel about it is like it, it's a bummer that we won't get to see the Porzingis that like we watched 
grow in this league and who we drafted and, and he was kind of like a, a home homegrown to an extent. It's a bummer we won't see him next to these star free agents who reportedly really are coming to New York. Like there's a lot of buzz about that. Right. And it doesn't seem like it's fake anymore. It's gotten very real over the last few weeks. And so yeah, I it just even if we do people are like oh, we opened up two max slots. It's like yeah, but one of those could have been Porzingis. He's like he's a very valuable right. <laughs> player. Um, but yeah, we'll see. It, it it all just matters how things shake out in free agency at this point. But uh, it's it, it was a very eventful week, Jake. I'm curious, how are you feeling at this point? I'm I'm doing well. I mean, again, I I gave the highest grade the day of the trade. I gave it a B minus, and I said, I mean, it could still easily go to a D minus. But it could also go to an A plus if the Knicks, if a couple lottery balls bounce the right way and the Knicks get two free agents, it could be an incredible trade. Um, but I mean, that would be <laughs> that would be a delayed A plus. So I mean, you have to factor in risk and stuff like that. And I, you know, the the draft odds I can't even talk about anymore. We'll do that more around lottery time. Um, I don't know, Tom. I think it is funny, and I, I'm coming up with this. I don't know how I want to label it yet. I think I want to call it the 20% theory right now, which you know this, two two guys, one guy who's kind of my idol and one guy who I respect the hell out of are Ryan Rossillo and Ben Simmons. Bill Simmons, excuse me. Like Ben Simmons too. But um, as I as I sit here in my sleeveless shirt, Rossillo's a guy's guy. I like the way he talks about sports. Simmons is a mogul. He's grown an empire. They're both these Boston guys in their hearts, though. And I think they've gotten to the level of comfort, um, especially Simmons, mostly Simmons, that I think there's a 20% gap in sports that I think, like the Tobias Harris trade, like Bill Simmons came out and was like, well, you know, I think it's kind of a desperate move for Philadelphia. Why do they need to do this? Why are they putting themselves with this much risk? Where I think if Bill Simmons was a Philadelphia fan – he'd be sitting there saying, like, oh, I love that Philly's going for it. Tobias Harris is the perfect fit. We have the best starting five in the league right now, or in the East, I should say. And I, I just think we saw that 20% gap with Chris Porzingis. We went from, uh, you know, he's going to get stronger. He keeps getting better. He's the future of the NBA. To now Knicks fans went to that other 20%. Where they're like, well, he isn't injury prone. He's been kind of a drama queen. Um, like, let's, he doesn't want to be here. We'll move on from him. And I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's funny, A. But B, it's, I, I don't know. Where you have to, as a fan, you skew your mind that way. You can't stay even on it. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how things play out in Dallas, especially with these draft picks. That could have been the perfect segue, but I blew it and just said that anyways. But um, it's going to be so interesting to see how Dallas does it because those guys cleared a bunch of cap space. I mean, we you want to talk about egg on our face, Tom. What if, what if Doncic, you get a healthy zinger, Doncic is a stud, and they could sign a couple guys this free agency after the Harrison Barnes trade? I mean – there's still a big way that this can make the Knicks look terrible. Um, it could also, hey, if the Knicks get a top two pick and sign a couple guys, I mean, this was a genius move. So I, I think you have to kind of have that open scope and lens. Um, and again, my, I guess the thing that made me feel okay at the end of the day was 
The Knicks risk financially. Right now, I think uh, Greg Poon texted this a couple minutes ago, is that 49% of the Knicks cap money is on players currently off the roster. Noah, Cantor, Wesley Matthews, and Ron Baker. Is that right? For 2018-19, yeah, that's right. It, it won't affect us going forward, but for this season, that's true. And, it, and it's right. indicative of past decisions. Exactly. And I'm, I guess that's the thing. With, with this trade, even if we don't do great in the lottery or fantastic in free agency, there's not a ton of risk there. We've got a couple picks coming up. We, we don't – if we miss in free agency, it's not the – the death of the team, like they're they're just going to turn to next year's free agents. Or, I mean, I personally think if if the lottery pick isn't top three, I think the Knicks are going to look into trading that and and bringing in a player, whether Mike Conley, whoever comes available. Um, so I I don't know. I'm at grips with it, and I think I think the other thing I I think we should hit the draft picks real quick because you and I had a good laugh about this, but it's also. It's getting back to these Knicks players a little bit, and especially Dennis Smith Jr. became a throw-in in this trade, a guy that was a beloved rookie of the year type a year ago, um, and now we've gotten to see him play a little bit. But but before we get into Dennis Smith Jr. and some some more of the baby Knicks and how this all works, let's, let's do the draft pick thing now because you and I, <laughs> we had some good laughs over this, and I'm just going to give it to you, Tom. Um, because you, you got your elevator speech ready for this. So let, let's see it. I don't know if it's an elevator or like, a, like an escalator, just a, <laughs> like a flight of stairs. But uh, yes. I don't know that we had – I remember Kenny kind of hashing out what those picks were, but I don't think we knew all the protections at the time when we said it um, a week and a half ago. So just so people know, so much of the the – way this this trade shakes out is going to depend on how these draft picks um convey so i'm gonna i'm gonna say convey a lot in the next few sentences yes it's gonna be a a conveyor belt that was part of my yeah now we got it (laughs) all right so first things first the mavericks owe a top five protected pick to the atlanta hawks from that Doncic trey young trade yes that happened uh during the draft last season so if so Basically, if that pick goes to Atlanta this upcoming draft in 2019, then the Knicks' first first-rounder from Dallas will convey two seasons after that in 2021. So the, that's the soonest possible first-round pick that the Knicks will get from Dallas is in 2021, and that's right. unprotected. So, you know, if, if this Porzingis-Doncic experiment goes – horribly and they aren't able to sign anyone with camp cap space over the summer, then there's a chance that that could be a really good pick. Would, it, would it you hard. say, sorry for cutting you off Tom. Would you say that's the most valuable piece we got back in this trade? Yeah. Uh, an unprotected pick two years from now from a team that's like no sure thing to be a, a playoff team. I think that that would unquestionably be the the most valuable thing because there's a chance it could be number one overall and we don't I don't know anything about the prospects in the 2021 draft right (laughs) I mean typically draft classes will have people worthy of of being number one overall so we just hope it's not like Anthony Bennett type year um so that's that's the best case scenario is that the Knicks get their first of their two first rounders in 2021 and that would mean that they could get their second first rounder from Dallas 
two years after that in 2023. And that pick is top 10 protected. So okay. that, so the best it could be is, is 11 or worse. Um, and so, I mean, that is really kind of down the road, right? Like we're yeah. talking, it feels like a long time from now, 2021 and 2023 as the earliest two uh, options, possibilities for the, for these picks. Um, and, and that kind of frames the way you think about this trade too. Like it's really either kicking the can down the road or it's, it's fodder for a trade for a team that's looking to kick the can down the road and, and build out with, with draft picks and young players. So I, again, that's the best case scenario. There's, there is a, a worst case scenario that gets much darker than that, but I'm just hoping I didn't lose anybody with that description so far. Yeah, no, that, that was great. And that was, that was the big thing that I missed. And we'll, we'll, again, we'll start seeing some of the pieces of this puzzle come together right now. It would seem that Dallas will be giving their draft pick to Atlanta this year, which would, which would mean we will get the 2021 20, pick. So then we can start kind of game planning for that. Correct. Um, it'd, be, it'd be very surprising if, uh, if the Mavs pick fell within the top five, that would mean that they either got just really lucky with the ping pong balls or their, their team completely tanked the rest of the way um, and got lucky with the ping pong balls. So yeah. yeah, most likely scenario and the one worth exploring is, is that it will go to the Hawks this year and the Knicks will get that 2021 first round pick unprotected. And again, that's, that's like you were alluding to, that's where things could get really interesting. If, if Zinger was to opt out and he was totally out on it and then who knows, does, does Doncic hit a point of talent and nobody else has come to Dallas that he wants to get out of town or you never, I'm not going to wish injury on, on a guy, but you just, you never know what's going to happen. And that's, that's the value of an unprotected first round draft pick. So that's, that's the big thing to watch out there. Um, and then, yeah, I, Hey, the other thing to watch, watch out for um, the Knicks aren't normally on the side of a trade like this. I, I, the thing that, you know, when we were originally talking about this and I know some Anthony Davis rumors, yada, 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 um, I started digging through the old Carmelo Anthony trade, and you start seeing names. Dario Saric and Jamal Murray ended up being a part of the Cam- Carmelo Anthony trade. So this this trade is going to play out over the years. Um, it it'll be interesting to see. Right now, um, we'll we'll know a lot more when ping pong balls start hitting, and when we get to free agency to fully analyze it. Um, and it really is. The free agency stuff is no joke. Las Vegas has the Knicks as the favorite to get Durant. Um, which again, I you know, normally I wouldn't read too much into that stuff, but Vegas is dealing with actual human money. <laughs> um, and they're a business. <laughs> so um I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to touch that at all, Tommy. Um I mean, look, I've been more skeptical than anybody of about the, the Knicks' chances of of getting these high profile free agents. I just, I haven't thought that they've built a, a, this winning culture. They haven't shown enough. Their, their young players haven't really been pieces that look like they can affect winning. But I mean, with all this chatter and all the, all the noise you hear, I read that Ethan Sherwood Strauss piece for the athletic um, who writes for the golden state warriors. There just seems to be so much noise about Durant actually being set on coming to New York. Yeah, and, and it's just—it's so hard to believe that he would do that on his own. It's just what leaving a perfect basketball situation and then just 
going on your own with a bunch of, of very young players who, you know, we're watching them this year, what they're, what they're doing. It's, it's not like uh, a, a preferential destination for someone in their prime. So you have to think that if Durant really is planning to make this move, that he's been talking to other guys around the league with, with a Kyrie or, uh, I mean, I, I don't really know who else he's, he's been talking to, but <laughs> there has to be some other top tier free agents who are, are willing to sign with the Knicks. Otherwise Durant by himself just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. And that's where I'm, I'm kind of fully on hold until I see the Knicks ping pong balls drop, because I think if they were to get the one pick, I've got this weird feeling in my gut that they try to, they really push to move Zion for Anthony Davis, which I don't think is problematic. It'd be sweet. You get Anthony Davis, and then that's so so much more appealing to free agents. Um, and then I've got another weird scenario in my head where they get the two pick, they take Barrett, and then that's still appealing to free agents because they have Barrett, Dennis Smith Jr., Mitchell Robinson, Trier, Knox. Um, I but think I, have- I don't know that that scenario is uh, attractive to free agents who are looking to win titles. I, that's a right. that's a young team that's going to take eight plus years. No, like you know, six years to really hit their stride. Um, and then that first situation that you mentioned with Zion for Anthony Davis, I think that makes a lot of sense if Durant decides to come. And you're like, we need another star today right. to pair at Durant to contend for titles in the East right now. But if if the Knicks strike out in free agency, then I don't think that just I said this on Twitter. It doesn't make sense to to be the team that trades Zion Williamson, like one of the best prospects in the last couple of decades, for Anthony Davis to, just to become the New Orleans, or the the New York Pelicans. Like, mm. it's not like he's been leading that team, and he's had some good pieces around him: Drew Holiday, Julius Randle, um, Nikola Mirotic. Like, Mirotic, yeah. They've been very thin, sure, but like they've definitely had some talent. Certainly more talent than the Knicks have on this roster. So it, it wouldn't make sense to me to, to trade Zion away for AD if that's all you're getting. You would only make that trade in response to some free agent signings and some and like a win now um, sort of mindset. Yeah, and that's I, it's going to be interesting. I, I can't tell because at the same time, it would be if they get a Zion or a Barrett or even Morant, I mean, you have to start wondering about the point guards a lot there. But, I mean, you, you fully have a young core in place, and you're right. Then it just becomes a waiting game. It's, are, can the Knicks actually wait two, three years for this to become, like, a uh, uh, fun, good team in the East? I don't know. I, I just feel like ownership, the GMs, the vibe in New York right now, I think they're going to go gas pedal to the floor and try to make a move. But I, I don't know. I think, I think we're getting deeper into the speculation than – than we wanted to, and so, so much of it has to play out. That I, I mean, we we could do this all day, and it'd be a lot of fun. And I, I bet one day we will do this all day, especially around that uh, July first time period. Um, Man, but I, Zion in the Garden would just would just be something else. Like people would come from around the world to watch that. So yeah. it, it'd be tough for me to to trade that away. To be to be the team that trades Zion Williamson is just it feels like a like bad bad juju or something. I, I don't want to be that team. 
You're absolutely right. And that, I mean, again, that's, that's the thing where it comes in where you, 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 these are young guys, Tom, but Hey, Dennis Smith Jr. RJ Barrett slash Zion with, I mean, KD, Kyrie, Jimmy Butler. Um, and then you start t- sprinkling in the other young guys, Trier, Mitchell Robinson. I mean, it's a team. It's you're right. It doesn't seem the most appealing to a Durant or someone like that, but um, I don't know. It's it's going to be the fun, the fun drama that the NBA has around every corner. I mean, the All Star Draft had me cracking up. I don't know. Did you watch that at all, Tom? I, I just saw some clips of uh, of Giannis cracking on LeBron. Oh yeah, yeah. Giannis is flying up my favorite player books. Um, he had jokes. He he had a couple jokes. He he was playing it smooth around Shaq and Bron, which I, I appreciate that. Um, and then LeBron just picking all the upcoming free agents was uh, the best, the best legal tampering you'll ever see in this life. But um, let's uh, let let's bring it back to these baby Knicks, and maybe we start with Dennis Smith Jr. Tom, because like like we said, and I think Kenny phrased it pretty well, was saying that I mean we we essentially got three first round picks. Um, one of them had already been selected for us in Dennis Smith Jr. Um, but we essentially got three firsts for Przingis, which I don't know. You start looking at value and everything. Okay, it starts becoming a little better. We've seen Dennis Smith Jr. now for four games. Uh, we've got 32 minutes a night, shooting 40% from the field, uh, 24% from three. Hello. Um 19 points per game, six and a half assists, three and a half rebounds, uh, two, two and a half turnovers, three turnovers, depending on how you look at it. What, uh, what have you seen from Dennis Smith Jr., Tom? It's again, so that 20% rule that I mentioned that I, that I'm, I'm making up a new fake thesis statement about, think about where Knicks fans were with Dennis Smith Jr. We took Frank before him and we were banking on Frank's defense and growing into his own eventually saying that, Oh, Dennis Smith Jr. is this, you know, low percentage shooter. He's got an injury history of his own. Now the Knicks 20% has shifted and said, wow, this guy's got really good energy. He's aggressive. We like what we're seeing from him. Where, where are you at on Dennis Smith Jr.? Yeah. It's so funny, Jake, because every time that this matchup occurred between Frank and DSJ, everyone would just, hate so hard on Dennis Smith Jr. Like he's Stefan Marbury. He's Steve Francis 2.0. Like he's, he's nobody. And then he, he becomes a Nick and like your mind, your mindset has to shift. Like yeah. to, just to keep your sanity as a Knicks fan, you have to completely change the way you think about this player. But I will say that like, I like Dennis Smith Jr. Coming into the draft. I, I mentioned that in last week's pod. Um, so far, it's been kind of what I expected. Like, it's a tiny sample size. So to look at the shooting percentages, they're really worrisome. Right. I mean, you mentioned that it's about 24% on five threes a game. That's a lot of attempts for, for so little production. And then his free yeah. throws, he had he's shooting 58% from the free throw line. He's getting to the line a lot. And he had that one game where he was like 11 of 19 from the free throw line, right. um, which, again, like great that you can get to the line that much. We love that you have to make them like that's right. Um, But it's a lot of kind of what I expected from a 21 year old point guard with this kind of athleticism. Like he, he can beat his man very frequently. He can get into the lane. Um, He can set up his teammates. 
But, you know, at the same time, his shot selection's a little iffy. He makes some some poor decisions at times. Defensively, it's it's super boom or bust. Like he he goes for steals, no doubt. He had that one steal that was really nice where he he um he intercepted a pass, brought it down the length of the floor, and threw that alley oop off the backboard in traffic to DeAndre Jordan. It was just it was one of the best Knicks highlights of the season. But then in the fourth quarter, he actually went for a steal again, and it, it led to just uh, – I'm talking about the, the most recent game here against the um, – that was against the Raptors, the Toronto Raptors, where it was actually like uh, crunch time, and Diaz, Smith Jr. just gambled and it ended up costing them a bucket in a, in a big moment. And, and he gets lost a lot off ball too. So defensively, I think he's actually been pretty bad but offensively, you see, you can see some like Moutier comparisons where it's like, yeah, he, he has some major flaws, but at the same time, he's so aggressive and he's big and fast and he's able to just kind of create some chaos. And, and there's value to that. Yeah. And he's, I mean, A, I, again, I think I want to start with like the opposite of Frank. Like this guy's aggressive. He's, you know, you kind of mentioned on defense, he's, he's, I guess, going all out at times, but not necessarily in the best way. Um, he's, he's getting his shots up. <laughs> he's getting his shots up. 18 field goals attempted per game since joining uh, the Knicks. Um, and yeah, again, I was kind of doing the 20% slide myself just as a Knicks fan, because again, we almost, we almost wanted to ignore what Dennis Smith Jr. was doing in hopes that Frank would slowly evolve to become a much more valuable basketball player. And I, I thought it was interesting because his per 36 numbers this year, while he was still in Dallas, there was some, there were some good things. He was actually taking four less shots from his rookie year and his field goal percentage had gone up about 45%, which was pretty impressive. Um, his three point percentage he was taking one less three per game, but he was making him at a 30% higher clip. So I was like, okay, if I was, if I'd been watching Dennis Smith Jr. and what I'd been looking for from the previous year to this year was him being more efficient as a player. And he was doing that in Dallas. Um, I think that's kind of what I'm watching on the Knicks because he's, he's back to getting all these shots up and having the ball in his hand a lot. And what what is it going to translate to? Is it is it his rookie year, Dallas, inefficient? Um, but end of the day, the stats kind of look nice from the outside. His, you know, his his rookie year. If you went by traditional stuff, he goes he averages fifteen and five and four as a rookie. You're like, all right, yeah, that's a that's a really good rookie year for a twenty year old. And then you'd say, okay, well, he comes back his second year. He's averaging, you know, thirteen four and a half. Um, it would seem like he's taking a step back where with the addition of Doncic, he was playing kind of off the ball a little more. He was being more efficient. I think that's what they wanted from him. So I I like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see with these Knicks. I mean, is he going to be able to find a middle area? And then again, I mean, how fair is it? The crew he's going to be running with um, is going to be a tough scene at times. Um I, I don't know. You have to appreciate the energy, the talent. Um, at the end of the day, I, I do love the free throw attempts. <laughs> like you said, you got to start making them. I mean, what, what are we judging Dennis Smith Jr. on from here on out to the rest of the year? It, it's going to mostly be his ability to make plays for his teammates, I think. 
Um, because I, I think we know he can get to the basket. I don't know as much about his ability to finish. I mean, he can, he can dunk on just about anybody. He's very sure. impressive uh, when he gets that chance. But um, I don't know that he has so much touch on, on his layups or his floaters. He's certainly not as comfortable as Kevin Knox is with his floater. Oh, my God. Mm. It's crazy what Kevin Knox does with that floater. But uh, Dennis Smith Jr., like, he'll, he's averaging six and a half assists in the last four games against small sample. But, he, but in his 32 games in Dallas this season, he was averaging just over four. So it, he's already, we've already seen an uptick there, and I, I expect that to continue. Um, I, I'm really curious to see how he meshes with Frank, too. I think that when Frank comes back from his injury, that's going to be one of the most interesting things is just – I'm sure Frank will be the one off ball because that's kind of been his role. He's, he's more passive one of the two, but he also can guard the other team's better perimeter player. I, I think they do, they do complement each other pretty well. Frank is definitely more of a catch and shoot three point shooter than a, a, a pull up jump shooter. Um, and Frank can be a really, really good secondary playmaker too. So I guess, I, I said uh, to answer your question initially, it was setting up his teammates, but I think the ultimate answer is how he and Frank mesh together in the backcourt. Yeah, I think it's going to be funny. I, th- I think the best case scenario is that two years from now, you're you're writing almost a buddy cop piece about Frank and Dennis Smith Jr. How they were going to be these these guys compared and contrasted, and almost dis every time they play, it become this head to head matchup. Oh, the the Knicks took Frank instead of Dennis Smith Jr. These guys are going to match up tonight. Instead, I mean, we're kind of hoping it turns into this buddy cop where <laughs> Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank are guys. Frank, you play the defense. Dennis Smith Jr., go out there, be electric. Um, I, I guess maybe that's just the weird fantasy world I live in too. But um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm picturing buddy cop stuff a lot here. So um, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not I, I saw a look on your face. I don't know if it was – Fear, shock, or enjoyment, which <laughs> those, those are the three emotions I'm trying to get out of people. Um, and so I, I guess if you want to tie it in, or if we can just talk about our guy, because I, I know you had a, a nice clip of him, and that, that was a really nice pass. And it's, <laughs> it's funny when you're a Knicks fan, you, you want to blow up one pass from Kevin Knox. But talk about Knoxie, Tom. You're, you're falling in love more and more by the day with this guy, with some of his quirky mid-range stuff. And that late pass he he dropped off that you made a nice little video about. Yeah, I I did a little, I mean, just like a, a two-part series of what Knox's floor is for his career and then again what his ceiling is. And uh, I kind of came to the, the conclusion that his floor is like a prime Al Harrington. I mean, Knicks fans remember Al Harrington. I think I, I mentioned yeah. it a little bit on the pod, but like he was 6'10 and was kind of like one of the, one of the original stretch fours he he shot a lot of threes they were primarily catch and shoots but he also had the ability to go off the dribble a little bit and he also liked i mean he was he was athletic too he could run the floor he wasn't a major rebounder he didn't get a lot of assists and that's if if kevin isn't able to develop those areas of his game i think that's kind of where he's headed it's just the productive scorer and doesn't bring much else to the table sort of thing. Again, that's a floor. Um, as far as a ceiling, I said the ceiling was Paul Pierce offensively. Yeah. Um, he's like, Pierce is not an explosive athlete. He wasn't like 
I don't know. It's very strange. He had kind of that old man game before, he, even when he was 22. Like he just used his body and used some just different pace to his game. He would he would wrong foot people just by being like either a step slower than they expected or a step quicker than they thought he could be. And Kevin Knox seems to have a little bit of that to him too, at least in the half court. In transition, I love Knox's ability to get out and run the floor. He he mostly looks to score for himself, but I also had I also put up a, a clip on Twitter of him making a nice pass. I think it was to Damian Dotson on a fast break, and Dotson promptly had it swatted by Danny Green, um, who is like one of the best transition defenders at the guard position ever. But uh, it, Knox has shown like little flashes of different things. He doesn't cut very often in this offense. No one cuts very often in this offense. <laughs> but on the, in that that clip that you were referring to before, he makes a really nice cut. He gets the ball near the rim. He takes a dribble. He does a, he like surveys the court, which is nice. He doesn't always do that. And he sees DeAndre Jordan cutting from the free throw line. And and Jordan luckily is such a freak athlete. He was like half a step inside the free throw line and just took one step and, and yammed it on everyone. But it just knocks his ability to to look for that or just him showing flashes of that kind of vision is huge. That's what you want to see from a 19-year-old kid, uh, even though he does sport probably one of the worst assist percentages for a guy of his usage rate maybe ever. I have to imagine he just doesn't really doesn't really rack up the assists. He doesn't have teammates to who score baskets when they do get the ball. So it, you combine that with his lack of vision and, and his assist numbers are are pathetic, frankly. But you, that's what it is. It's not. It's not all about looking at the numbers. You want to just see evidence on the court of his ability to to pass the ball and make plays. And Tom, I think I think people initially would be pretty freaked out. We're a Knicks podcast, and your your initial comparison is comparing Kevin Knox to Al Harrington. But you're right. Al Harrington kind of was in the wrong era. From from '04 to to 2010, he averaged. 17 points, six rebounds, shot 37% from three. Um, guy ended up having a 15-year career. Uh, he was kind of one of those – he was in that high school player era, era when guys came out. If they didn't kill it initially, they almost got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Al Harrington had a pretty nice career. Yeah, um, really, yeah. He, yeah, saying that's his floor, actually, I, I think I ended up saying it was his optimistic floor because – People forget how good he was. He was a pretty – I don't know that he was on that many winning teams, which I think also factored into the prediction a little bit. But even so, like th- those numbers, they speak for themselves. He was, a, he was a good player, and there was a reason he was in the league for so long. Yeah, so I, I, I think that is a really fun baseline comparison. Again, Kevin Knox, folks, 19. Um, and, yeah, when the high end is some of the Hall of Famers you mentioned, uh, there's still a lot going on. Uh, some of the two-point field goal percentage stuff still bugs me out sometimes. There's a couple ugly ones, but again, that's when you have to revert to his youth. Um, he's since the trade, he's been averaging, uh, you know, 15 and four, uh, 34% from three, 34% from the field. Um, hello, operator. Um, hasn't missed a free throw. So hey, um, so I I think you know Kevin Knox is still on the path. It's it's been. It's been interesting to watch, you know, we, we, well, we had Wesley Matthews and Enos Cantor out there for a couple games, which Wesley, nice, nice to meet you. It was a uh, kind of ridiculous. I, I know he does wear his headband like that sometimes, but when, when you look back in Knicks history and you'll see the two games, Wesley Matthews played for the Knicks, he was wearing kind of a cutoff t-shirt 
tied around his head with the let's go attitude. I, I think we'll end up laughing at that. Um, but we, we say goodbye to Wesley. It's official. He signed with Indiana. Good, good luck. Make, make a good run kid. Um, we say goodbye to Enos, Tom. I, I guess I, I want to get caught up in, and love some of our young guys. You, you got a good farewell speech saved up for your dude. Nothing like that elevator pitch for the, for the draft picks. Um, <laughs> no, man, I don't, I don't have a ton to say here. Like he'd really worn out his welcome with Knicks fans by the end of that, just with all the the complaining and just the, just the complete lack of self-awareness and understanding of where the team was um, in rebuilding. And frankly, just not realizing that even if he were to play, he wouldn't have helped the team win anyway. It's just that coupled with MSG Knicks fans often chanting for him to get in the game was not a good look. I think it kind of emboldened him. So he thought, Oh, these Knicks fans really do want to see me play because I'm a good player. And it gave him the wrong impression. I feel bad about that, but no, I mean, I I'm glad that he's no longer with the team. Glad that I no longer have to watch him try and defend pick and rolls out in space, which was just, horrifying each time and now we get to watch guys like Mitchell Robinson do it who last game was awesome defending pick and rolls I was really just watching him almost the whole time he was on the floor because he's been the most interesting Nick to watch I I think like probably even the most surprising or most interesting one to watch and uh yeah the the more Mitchell Robinson I get and the the less Enos Cantor the happier I'm gonna be yeah and I well, I'll, I'll get to DeAndre because I might have another little thing for my fake 20% rule I've just made up. Uh, yeah, goodbye, Enos. Um, I, I feel like I don't want to give myself too much credit of being on the verge of, like, let's get this guy the hell out of here. But um, it, it was time to go. It unraveled so quickly. I think that kiss of midcourt is going to be remembered as one of the more <laughs> cringeworthy moments in Nick's history, which, oh, <laughs> there's a few. Um the door hitting the game winning shot a few years ago. Um, it, it, it was just at the end, it became a joke. It became like a, a Turkish big man, Ron Baker, a little bit. Um, goodbye, Enos. Uh, we'll, we'll see what markets out there for you, but yeah, I just, I needed him away from the team. Like I, I, I didn't want him near my young guys and I, I will pivot that into Deandre Jordan because that was again, give, giving myself a pat on the back. Uh, when they did the trade, we were talking about, okay, are they going to flip Wesley Matthews? Are they going to flip DeAndre Jordan? Because, I mean, those are guys that can help a team on a playoff run. Um, Wesley Matthews, a trade was never going to happen. It's a lot of money um, for him to give you his 20, 25 minutes and three and D it. That it would have been really tough to make a trade. Um, DeAndre, we thought there was a chance of it. I said no because I was like, this is Mitchell Robinson's player comp. Let's get this guy in the house. Let's have – I mean, if he's shadowing DeAndre Jordan for two months, that's worth it in my head for everything else that happened in the trade. Um, I think something that was important that I think uh, – I forget if it was Clyde or Breen was saying, but I think DeAndre Jordan is one of the most well-respected guys in the league. Like overall, just work ethic guy, bringing it to the table every night. This is a guy that's won – did he win Defensive Player of the Year? Or he's been in the running. Um, he's, he's been the lead, leading rebounder a few years. I, I think he's really well respected from a du- 
bunch of different aspects. And I, I we could talk the Mitchell Robinson part, but I, I think just for this team in general, if you're Frank, Dennis Smith Jr., who's been watching it earlier this year, um, Knox, Trier, all these young guys, watch DeAndre Jordan go in this Knicks run where we, we've won one game in, what, two months, something like that, and watch him bring it in practice and bring it to the game every night. I I, I love that. I, I think – I think we'd be giving this Knicks front office, if we believed in them, that 20% more where we'd be like, wow, DeAndre Jordan, that was actually a really good get for these young baby Knicks. Yeah, I like I like DeAndre Jordan's game in a lot of ways. I like the way he, he rim runs, I like the way he rebounds. He doesn't really expect post-ups. Um, he, I know he caught some criticism in Dallas. He was doing some some rebound stealing things to kind of pad his stats. And there was that clip that went viral of him kind of like, elbowing Doncic out of the way so he could get the rebound. And there was some weird stuff going on in Dallas. I don't know how much he was well-liked there, but but you're right that in general, it, it always seems like DeAndre Jordan is considered a great teammate for all those Team USA things. He was always everyone's best friend. I know Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were both very close with him. Um, he just seems like a very friendly, likable person. Dallas time aside, I bet I would imagine the Dallas fans don't, have like all that high things to say about him, but I I've liked what I've seen so far. Um, he brings a lot of, he brings some great energy this, this past game against Toronto. He had a couple of dunks and a really nice block and was trying to just get the Knicks fans on their feet. So if he can bring that out of Mitchell Robinson, that kind that kind of emotion and that kind of energy out of Mitchell Robinson, I think that's going to be a, a great thing. He's already talked about it with reporters. He said like the, the first priority is getting the, getting him Mitchell Robinson to shed that 19 year old kind of quietness and to get him out of his shell a little bit. And uh, let's, let's, let's stay there, Tom. You, you mentioned Mitchell Robinson's defense and that's, that's what we've been watching a lot of. And he, uh, he, I I think Clyde talked about it when, before he got hurt, um, he was really showing some flashes and kind of getting away from that foul proneness. And then he came back and he was doing a lot of the foul prone stuff again. Um, What, what do you see from Mitchell Robinson in the pick and roll that that seems uh, exemplary or special or sticks out to you a little bit? Well, he what's kind of impressed me is that he has better hands than I expected. I kind of thought of him as as this guy who's going to drop a lot of passes and the ball really needs to be right on the rim for him to be able to to slam it. But he's he's had a few plays that he's converted where the ball's been kind of like closer to behind the backboard and, and he'll catch him and, and convert at these weird angles and, and make these difficult catches in traffic that I would have never expected. So, I mean, we knew you'd be a great shot blocker, maybe not at this level, especially on the perimeter, how good he's been at blocking three pointers and, and jump shots, which is pretty rare, but offensively, I thought he'd be too rare too uh, raw to contribute in any way. But he's been really good. Uh, granted, the, the Knicks' offense hasn't been good with him on the court. They haven't been good with anybody on the court. Literally, <laughs> their offense has been by far the worst in the league for the last, like, call it four games, call it the last, maybe the last ten games. Um, they're, they've been pathetic. But just Robinson's ability to finish alley-oops it's made Trier a more willing passer, but he wasn't just getting him from Trier. He was getting him from everybody. Like Damian Dotson was throwing all you, Stan Smith Jr. It, Mario Hazonia was throwing him. Like everyone was getting involved because they all like throwing it to this 
pogo stick. Like it's it, yeah. it, pogo stick. It's incredible. It's it's almost like an offensive eraser. And it's kind of what DeAndre Jordan used to do for those those Clipper teams with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Like, you know, if you can make an aggressive move for the paint, and if you draw extra attention, if you gave a young DeAndre Jordan any clearance to take off, just put the ball up there. I don't know if it's a shot or a pass, but when you've got someone like that, it's almost it's it's normally the defensive eraser. It's almost the offensive eraser of a bad possession. If you catch yourself in the in the paint in some traffic, but if you've given that guy a little room to operate, throw the ball up there and go to work. So I, I think the DeAndre Jordan effect there I, I, has has potentially huge dividends for a twenty year old that's averaging six four and two um, in his rookie year after not even playing college basketball. And in these last four games, he's averaging 12 points, eight rebounds, and about two and a half blocks. So, like, that, I mean, he's, he makes his free throws 82% the last four games. Granted, small sample size, I know. But, yeah. I mean, he's, he's shooting 76% from the field on these. They're all dunks. But he's showing a little bit of touch um, on, on very close to the basket. I haven't really watched him step out too much. I don't want to. Like it's way, yeah. way too early for that. But I mean, imagine what Robinson could do with a court that's even remotely spread out with shooters. It's not like the Knicks are, are running out knockdown three point shooters. We we're just talking about Dennis Smith Jr. shooting five threes a game at twenty four percent. Like that's you know that's kind of in line with <laughs> Wesley Matthews <laughs> had that one had those two games. He took 10 threes and made two of them. Like They didn't have shooters on the court next to Mitchell Robinson these last few games. And he's still been able to just – it hasn't mattered. Even in a crowded, restricted area, he's been able to throw down alley-oop after alley-oop. And he runs the floor in transition and gets easy buckets that way too. And I I think with, with Mitchell Robinson, I was going to A, start off with – you know, I, I mentioned DeAndre Jordan and the Clippers – Having a point guard that can get a big guy the rock like that is huge in, in what they can do out there. But a team as a whole that can pass um, is huge, and the Knicks don't do that right now. Um, so, I mean, again, what like you just mentioned, Mitchell Robinson putting up 12-8 and eight the past few games. If the Knicks can get the ball movement and, heck, Dennis Smith Jr. over who we've been rolling out at point guard is a huge upgrade. I mean, those Mitchell Robinson numbers just seem like they're going to go up and up. Yeah, I mean, just with the eye test, it's felt like the offense has been less stagnant. It hasn't been more productive. It's It's been right. <laughs> just, just pathetic getting the ball into the basket. But it has felt like there have been more possessions where the ball zips around and, like, finds different players and, and there's more drive and kick. It's just maybe it's the losing Tim Hardaway Jr. effect or something, but <laughs> – um, we didn't even talk about losing him, but yeah, I mean, that's a lot of shots out the window and a lot of like isolation garbage shots. So uh, Desmond Jr. Is, is doing his work to, to fill in those two, but I'm not going to get cynical yet. Yeah, it's been uh, been funny to watch Nick's Twitter bring out the full sickle of death on Tim Hardaway Jr. now that he's gone. Um, but <laughs> deservedly so a little bit. Uh, we, we won't do too much of that. See you later, Timmy. Um, I guess, where, where do I want to go with this, Tom? I, the name that's jumping out to me, which, I, again, is dancing away from the young guys a little bit, <laughs> age 23, Noah Vonley. This is a guy that we thought 
Like, we've seen him play this year. No Vonley's been playing good basketball. We thought we were going to get a second-round pick for this guy. I mean, do you think just with the after-trade deadline market now, teams weren't willing to part for with a second for what Noah Vonley was going to get them back? I mean, do you think there was anything tied into this, uh, the Knicks free agency idea that you've been talking about this whole year that, like, the Knicks have made Noah Vonley a wanted commodity – um, do you think this make gives the Knicks a slightly better chance of him coming back after this year? It's going to depend a lot on on free agency and how the those big name free agents play out. But I mean, it, it was kind of weird. I think there was a lot of expectation that Vonley would get moved, that he would be a wanted player um, at the deadline, that that he could help playoff teams win, but. It just it didn't happen for whatever reason. Maybe the offers just weren't there. That's very possible. Um, but I will say that Vonley's really been struggling lately. He uh, he got moved to the bench for that reason this past game against Toronto. Mario Hazonia started for him. Say what you will about Hazonia, but he <laughs> like he's so confounding. I, I don't want to go off on a Hazonia t- tangent, but oh, it, it's so strange watching him play because he will do some things that I love just make great passes he really rewards cutters he's like when you play with a dad in pickup basketball who nice. just every time you cut no matter what if you cut you're getting the ball like right. I don't care if the defender read it the entire way I'm rewarding you for this movement and that's first of all that's what my dad does no matter yes. how open you are I was are. just gonna say your dad your dad put me in a lot of bad spots because I was just cutting to make people happy, and he'd throw me the rock. And I, I just ran into three six six guys. Don't give me the ball here. But I mean, he would. Sometimes you cut just to be like a, a diversion, to be you know? social, just to distract the defense. But but no, my my dad will feed you at a one hundred percent rate. And that's kind of what Hazonia does too. He literally, like, if you cut, you're getting the ball, no matter if that's the right decision or it's not. But he'll also just make terrible decisions, just early shot clock two, like long twos and terrible passes. It, it it's frustrating. Anyway, he's it's that guy who's replaced <laughs> Noah Vonley in the starting lineup, and and Vonley's been struggling, man. I, I'm looking at his numbers. From the last 15 games, so this is no small sample size, he's only taken two and a half three-pointers per game, hitting 22% of them. Mm-hmm. He's, he's hitting a third, or two-thirds of his free throws. He's not grabbing as many rebounds. Like He's been struggling the, the last 15 games or so, and, and just averaging eight points per game, seven rebounds, which is okay. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if like his recent struggles scared teams off from – from like at the very beginning of the season, he was a plus minus darling. Like whenever he was on the court, the the Knicks were doing well, and now he's towards the bottom of the team. Like he's he's hmm. not been um, leading to to winning basketball again. No one has, but right. Um, but neither is Vonley. It's worth noting. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, and this could have been my twenty percent Knicks bias. Like I was already slotting Noah Vonley as the starting four for the Utah Jazz, but um, at it, it didn't happen. It, I guess it's a storyline to see. I mean, how, how does he finish out the year? What What's out there? Who are the Knicks bringing in in general? Does Vonley want to come back? Um, I, I think that's a storyline. I mean, Tom, what, what do we need? Do we need to talk about Kandidim Allen? I mean, do you want Hazonia off the roster? What's 
what what's next for this whole I, I guess for the I, this is the Knicks team basically going forward. We we think DeAndre's staying. If anything, maybe they let his own you go, but it, it seems like almost too much extra at this point. It's like okay having his body around. Um, I mean, what's the consensus? It's going to be so much losing, so much losing. Um, although we are, I think we have Cleveland and Atlanta this week. So, and the boys seem thirsty to get one win. Um, so I, I would be, I'd be surprised to see it fall. But what are we just looking for? Good basketball? Is that too obnoxious? Is that not good podcasting? We're not going to be seeing good basketball, or at least like we won't, <laughs> we won't be seeing extended, uh, just like runs of good basketball. It will happen in pockets, in spurts, and that's where that's what you're going to be looking to see. That's what you're tuning in for. I only watch the players who will be on the roster in the next couple seasons. Like I really, a guy I'm looking at actually is Trier. He's been very quiet recently. He hasn't been getting nearly as many shots up. I'm looking at his last eight games right now. He's averaging seven points per game in 21 minutes. He's shooting 36% from the field. Um, he's not getting to the free throw line nearly as much as he was earlier in the season. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't really. Maybe it's like just a little rookie wall he's hitting. Not, I'm not sure. But um, that, that's one guy who I know is going to be on the team next season. I mean, according to his contract, unless he's traded. So, uh it's just, it's guys like that who I know are are in it for for more than just the rest of this year who I'll be watching and that's it's just little sparks of of solid play of just of guys developing skills that you haven't seen before that's what struck me about that Knox the last uh, Knox pass that we discussed seeing guys do things that they aren't accustomed to doing like when I see Knox hit a a, a three a you know a catch and shoot three I'm I'm numb to that. Like, good. Like, I, I expect him to do that. Right. I expect him to do it at like a forty percent clip. To be honest, already, um, whether that's fair or not, like that's on catch and sh- on open catch and shoots. Knox has got to be hitting those at forty percent. So I don't really care about that. Like, I know that's going to come around. I want to see guys doing things that surprise me, and that's that's going to be playmaking because no one on this team really does that. It's going to be like. The Dean Allen rebounding. Like I, I love watching that. He's <laughs> yeah. He's grabbed more rebounds than Hardaway Jr. even attempted to. Like it, yeah. it, that's been impressive. So stuff like that. That's what I'm looking for. I like that, Tom. That's that's a really unique angle. Seeing seeing because that, that's that's what I was gonna spin as almost a, a walk away hope for the future thing. Like if everything goes right, if it if Katie and Kyrie came to town, which which everyone was dreaming about for 48 hours there. I, I mean, I start to talk myself into like, okay, so then Dennis Smith Jr. would turn into this kind of dynamic piece that would come in and try to do a lot of things at times. And, you know, it, it, it could be good. Sometimes it's probably going to be bad. Uh, Trier, I mean, he's the guy I have circled in all of this. He, he could be a total wild card. I mean, could he be a kind of a important asset in finishing an Anthony Davis trade? Maybe. If we sign some free agents and he elevates his game, um, is that going to be an interesting dynamic? Yeah. I mean, can Frank already play defense? We think so. Does he become into a, d- a defensive role player? So, I I mean, I almost came in – I mean, same thing with Mitchell Robinson. I almost came in with the reverse mindset as you. Like, I I, I almost wanted to see these guys be, be good at what you're supposed to be good at, and that's kind of what I'm expecting. But I like what you're saying, kind of, kind of seeing who's going to show us growth in the next couple months of basketball to see um, – 
to see what they develop into. I, I, uh, I like that, but I guess I'm worried I'm not going to see a ton of it. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna have to watch closely, and and that hurt. <laughs> like, you need the not to bring back the bird box meme, but you need someone like forcing your eyes open, just pointing your face at the screen, watching the Knicks play. It's been rough. Yeah. I, I I need Frank to come back too. I really need Frank to come back because just any signs of growth from him, they're gonna just really help with coping the rest of the season. Yeah, and I mean, you you just hope they I, – I hate to say have fun with it because that's not supposed to be the mentality, but give me some fun mixes of Dennis Smith Jr., Damian Dotson, Trier, Frank. I mean, you could you could do some fun things with that backcourt. And you know what? Kadeem Allen's a guy fighting for his NBA life. Throw that guy against them in practice all day. All day, these guys that are lottery picks that, you know, oh, Frank, we want to see you develop this. Let Kadeem Allen go at his throat and let's see what happens. He's a bulldog. Yeah. He really, uh, he's been impressive the last few games. I've uh, I've enjoyed watching him. Nickname on basketball reference, the big bruiser, Kadeem Allen. Hello. Hey, how are you? So, yeah, I guess it's – I, and this is something I think you and I will openly admit, Tom, as we start wrapping it up, is that uh, it's getting tough to watch. It, it's getting tough to watch. It's tough to get home Monday night from work and be like, you know what I want to watch? Two and a half hours of Knicks basketball. That's it's really tough. difficult. Really difficult to sell that to the wife. Um, it's. A- <laughs> I, I had to put in some time with just a garbage movie on Netflix the other day. Um, what what called- flick? It's called Julie and Julia. Oh no! It's um, it's Meryl Streep's Oscar-nominated role as Julia. That's Child. the cooking thing, yeah. Yeah, you know it. And it was, I mean, garbage is is rude. Like Meryl Streep is is one of the greats of all time. Right. But like this movie, man, I it was, it was tough. But I knew in the back of my head, I was like, well, I'm gonna get to watch a Knicks game again. So it's just it's putting in your work. Yeah, the Knicks fans. If 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 you're gonna find yourself in a similar situation, you gotta gotta placate the significant others and put on these other these other shows every once in a while on the off nights. And it's the, uh, it's the investment. It's the uh, hey, oh, is this a big game? Well, <laughs> uh, no, we're we're down twenty five in the third, and we we we've, we've won one of our last twenty games or so. So no, I mean, it's tough to say it's a I big would, game. I was partway through Julie and Julie, and I was like, "Would I rather watch this than the Knicks?" Mm, Maybe that's, uh, that might that might be this week's poll question from Talking Knicks: Julie and Julia versus watching the Knicks. Um, we do at Cleveland home for versus 76ers, who I don't know if it's a little Boston hatred, but they've become my new favorite team to watch. I might, I might be Sixers the rest of the year. Um, at Atlanta, home versus Minnesota. Um, it, it does feel like, and I, some, someone reached out to me and talking Knicks about betting the Toronto game. Cause it was a big line and it does feel like they've hit the end of this stretch where it's like, they want to win something just so these guys remember what it is. Um, we'll, we'll see at Cleveland if they roll out the full tank package, um, that's talk about must watch TV. Um, so I, I don't know if, if you're in Knicks nation, Hone in on some of the young guys. Don't get caught in the the wins and losses. We saw our, some of our friends at Nick's Film School uh, with with that other gentleman get into 
what we should be reporting and not reporting. Like the wins and losses are out the window at this point. Let's, I, I think we need to make a focus on, I loved what you said, Tom, seeing, seeing not, not a growth in Dennis Smith driving it to the tin. Cause we know he can kind of do that to a degree, but you know, show us some efficiency, Kevin Knox, show us, show us some extra passes here and there. I, I, I really love that dynamic, Tom. Yeah, it's all we've got the rest of the way out. And if you're asking for, if you're asking for a prediction, I'm not going to sit here and predict a win. Like that, I don't have the audacity right. to. I'm looking at Basketball Reference right now, and the L's go all the way up the page. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I expect a Knicks win. And I'm also going to say it doesn't matter. That's what you said. Like the wins and losses are out the window. It's all about growth, development, development of skills, chemistry, culture. All of it, it, it I'm just, I, I want to watch more basketball. I want to watch, watch more, more basketball. You know how many straight losses it is, Tom? I don't want to, I don't want to look. I don't want to do the math and count. I don't want to count L's. I'm not going to do it. It's, uh, it's 16, 16 straight losses. This has been Talking Knicks. <laughs> um, it, it got I, dark I, at the end. It wasn't dark the whole podcast. It, it, it wasn't okay. dark. It will that, be okay. That was a sarcastic dark. Um, yeah, I, I don't don't run too high or low until the ping pong balls come out. I say, and and free agency starts. Um, what watch the young guys? Watch Mitchell Robinson if he can keep up a twelve and eight, a twelve and eight and two from a rookie center uh, for the final couple months. That was a second round pick. I mean, try to appreciate that. <laughs> he's a steal, man. We already know he's he's an absolute steal. He's a freak athlete, and so yeah, hang on to things like that. And you'll be okay. The hang on. This this episode of Talking Next is called Hang On. Um, Thomas, as always, I thank you. Um, give him the follow. I always for Tom underscore Piccolo. That's it. P-I-C-C-O-L-O. Tom underscore Piccolo. And, yeah, I'm going to start tweeting more during the games. I'm going to start doing more of the screen grabs and the videos um, as, as they happen, as I see things and posting those because it's fun, and that's it's a fun way to watch the game. So, yeah, follow me there, and, and I'm going to be – writing more stuff for B-Ball Index. I want to get an article out this month for Nick's Film School. I need to tell them that. Maybe they'll listen to this. But uh, yeah. that's that's the goal. Yeah, check check him out. Thank you, Tommy. Um, I'm at Talking Jake. If, if you guys could leave a review, we always appreciate that. Right, right Mitchell Robinson, block shots, right? Goodbye, Tim Hardaway Jr. forever. Um, if you could leave a five-star review, we'd always appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much. It's um, these are potentially the last of the darkest times for the Knicks in a while. Tom, there's a really good spin, couple lottery balls and a couple free agents. These could be the last really dark times for a while. Let's hope. Spin zone. All right. Thank you guys so much. I I normally end it with let's go Knicks. It's so ironic now that they're on a 16 game losing streak. So let it. Let everybody stay healthy. <laughs> Let it rip, Jake. Let's go, Knicks. Let's go, Knicks. <laughs>